Hi, this is the Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. There isn't a facet of medicine that hasn't been changed by technology. From your electronic medical record to the automated blood counts that are done in a lab to the robotic assistant your surgeon uses to replace your knee. Everything in medicine is mediated to an increasing degree by a digital infrastructure and the data it produces. And it feels like this is just the beginning. So how do we keep medicine human? You know, prior to Providence, I was at Amazon for nine years. And one of the many lessons that they taught us there was you're always working the ends of the value chain. So there's always in any value chain, there's the fundamental creator of value and the fundamental consumer of value. And so I worked in publishing for a while. And so the fundamental creator of value is the author. Like, you know, you can't get, you know, does it get, you can't go past that. Like they're the person that's writing the book, right? And the fundamental consumer is the reader. And there's all these people in between. And if you're not working on those edges, either to improve the life of the author or the life of the reader, you're not going to add value in that, that process. In our world, it's the ultimate creator of value is anybody who serves the patient's Fundamental consumer value is obviously the patient. And so if you're not trying to, you know, make either of their lives better, or ideally both, um, you're, you're not adding value. The St. Joseph organization had this wonderful expression about the, the care experience, right? They called it the sacred encounter. What they meant was there's like this otherness thing that happens between a patient and the provider. It's sacred. It is not professional service. It's not customer service. There is something mm -hmm. deep and in a lot of cases, very, very emotional. So my team's job is to remove all the friction before and after that encounter for both parties so that they're not distracted at all, right? So the idea is the technology melts into the background. It's not even there. So you don't have the clinician, you know, typing on their laptop, being distracted by that. You don't have the patient who's probably walking in there, you know, kind of fuming because we did something to script their billing or, you know, or they had to go find parking or, you know, they had to drive an hour and a half to come see us. How do you make that as distraction free as possible? Right. That's the goal of my team. That's Aaron Martin. He's the executive vice president and Chief Digital and Innovation Officer for Providence. And today, we're going to take some time to think about the intersection of technology and medicine. Aaron Martin joins me on the line from Seattle. Aaron, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. I think I want to start by letting you off the hook a little bit. There are a million ways that we could approach this question of what's on the horizon. L let me ask you, where do you want to start? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, that the area that uh, my team and I really kind of focus on kind of day to day is not necessarily the kind of Star Trek future of, of tomorrow, but just really trying to kind of catch healthcare up to how people are used to kind of living the rest of their digital lives, if you will. I'm guessing that one part of that sort of bringing things up to speed in, in the medical community has to do with interoperability. Uh, I'm thinking about the electronic health record. It drives me nuts that providers that I see keep records on me and they don't talk to one another. 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's a it's a massive issue in healthcare, definitely. The problem is multifold. So you know, the first issue is is that uh, patients go to other health systems uh, that aren't Providence, and so we have to kind of in- integrate with respect to those other health systems, right? So that's one area. And then the second thing that happens is the, your EMR is only going to be your clinical record, and so it's not going to really give you kind of a longitudinal view of your, your, your healthcare, right? And so, so you can get that information most probably from the payer, but you may switch payers, you know, every, every couple of years because you may switch jobs. And then on top of all this, you've got some, you know, parts of the health system that are well-funded and have kind of made the investments in EMR technologies and digital, and then other parts of the health system that, because their economics are more kind of challenging, say nursing homes, you know, skilled nursing facilities, you know, home health, et cetera, et cetera, uh, or independent practitioners like physicians, et cetera, they may not have invested in this technology at all. And so what you have happening is, is a bunch of faxes going back and forth, if you can believe it. Right. Um, you know, health, you know, healthcare is the industry that is keeping the fax <laughs> industry still in business. It's like 1984 called and wants you to have a medical appointment. Yeah. Fax machines and pagers where we, we keep both of those industries in, <laughs> in business. I am Maybe a month or so ago, I was seeing my primary care doc and noticed that she was spending a significant amount of time during the office visit documenting the office visit Yes, as she was talking to me. So her attention was diverted to her laptop almost half the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that she's not paying attention to me because she is, She's, but she's doing two things at once. And I'm wondering whether artificial intelligence can be brought into play or are there other ways to automate that note-taking that goes on during an encounter? Yeah, my um, my colleague B.J. Moore, who's the CIO at Providence, is 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 working with um, a couple of technology vendors, Microsoft and Nuance, to use uh, voice recognition technology to do what's called digital scribing. Uh, and the idea is, is is that you know you've got kind of an Alexa-like product, you know, sitting within the physician uh, room, and it's um, scribing for the the physician and actually doing the charting so that the physician is actually invoking in some cases the uh, the bot doing the charting without having to kind of take their eyes off the patient which which is what they should be kind of you know focused on obviously so that's kind of what you know BJ Moore and team are working on is like kind of in the clinic you know what's going on there what we're doing uh, and is for telehealth and, and, you know, virtual visits is trying to, you know, because it's by its very nature, a digital encounter, it's a great opportunity to just do that transcription directly using a similar technology. Right. Um, and then also it opens up a whole bunch of other kind of avenues for innovation. So not only being able to do that, but also do kind of, you know, simultaneous translation for you know, so if, if English is not your first language, you know, um, we can kind of caption on both sides the uh, the conversation so that there's a better you know likelihood that you can kind of communicate uh, in the person's native uh, language. So that's that's another opportunity for you know this this type of technology. Third opportunity is um, in addition to kind of scribing and in, in translation, 
is the ability to actually detect some medical uh, issues through the audio and through the video. Uh, and so we're looking at technologies that, for instance, can determine based on, you know, somebody's voice, whether or not they may have, you know, certain kind of heart conditions or respiratory conditions. The, the other kind of big opportunity, too, around voice uh, video technology is I can get an instant con consult from anywhere, right? So if I'm on with my primary care physician, I, I shadow primary care physicians, you know, from time to time, and I'm actually married to a physician, so I guess I'm sh always shadowing her. Um, and one of the interesting things in the primary care visits that I've shadowed is, you know, I think out of the six, four of them eventually turned into some sort of behavioral health consult, right? Mm. Where, you know, patient kind of presents with, you know, here's the reason why I came in, but inevitably uh, something else would come up from a behavioral health issue, like you know, stress and anxiety, depression, you can imagine a world in which you're having that discussion, you know, instantly pop somebody up for kind of a three-way discussion, right? Um, you could also bring in family members. Uh, that's a big issue, especially with more um, elderly family members. My wife is a physician. Uh, my mother-in-law is in, is in uh, Arizona. And, you know, she, my wife gets a readout of the uh, clinical interaction kind of third hand, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Or second hand. And, uh, you know, the level of accuracy of what the physician actually said. Right. And sometimes she has to call the physician to, you know, cause she's, she's got, um, you know, advocate rights with her, her, her mom she has to, you know, unsort what was told. Right. Uh, because, you know, uh, my mother-in-law is not a, is obviously not a clinician. And so her interpretation of what the physician was telling her to do may be biased. So you imagine a scenario where you just bring everybody up on a kind of video call, right? So there's a whole bunch of different ways you could kind of leverage that technology that we haven't even started to explore beyond being in the clinic. Be interesting if one of the unintended consequences of the pandemic is a greater acceptance of telemedicine. Oh yeah. I mean, the thing I always tell people is, I mean, one of the things that it's my job to do is, is keep pace with, um, technology disruptors in the marketplace. Uh, and one of the things I keep telling people is like, you know, the pandemic paid for something called trial and adoption, which you typically run into if you're, if you're a startup or an, a disrupting technology provider, in a new market that you're trying to kind of engage in, say for for example, healthcare, um, you're usually paying to get you know consumers to try your product, right? Uh, and then you you hope that they really enjoy it and they like it and they tell people, etc. The pandemic kind of did the heavy lifting for the disruptors, if you think about it. Like they basically said, if somebody asked me in 2019. Um, what would have to happen to get massive trial and adoption for telehealth? I would tell two things. One is you would have to shut down all the clinics. And two, you would have to pay the physicians and the health systems the exact same for an, an online consult as you would do for an offline consult. Right. Both of those things happened during the pandemic. We had to shut down all of our clinics because of... Uh, uh, lack of PPE, and then um, and then you know, fortunately, uh, both 
uh, Medicare and, and the insurance companies, you know, had a at least a temporary pavement equivalency between offline and online visits, right? And so that drove a ton of trial and adoption. I mean, we saw, I think, close to 2 million patients online, um, you know, during the pandemic last year, and uh, they liked it. You know, like, you know, a lot of these patients, you know, don't want to go back to kind of in-person in-clinic visits if they don't need to. You mentioned behavioral health and the easier availability of bringing in a consult. Mm -hmm. It seems of all physician visits that could more easily be done as a telehealth visit, it would be a, a visit with a behavioral health provider. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think, I think again, what it did is it, it kind of forced the discussion between patients and providers of shouldn't we just be doing this over video conferencing? I'm talking today with Aaron Martin, Chief Digital and Innovation Officer for Providence. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, where we're human underscore caring. It's a great way to find out more about our guests and to find out what's coming up on the program. Or visit our website for our archive at hearmenowpodcast.org. Earlier, Aaron, you described the task of removing the friction before and after the patient-provider encounter. So how do we ensure that technology assists in making healthcare more humane, more personable, more of a sacred encounter, rather than just more technologically advanced? You know, I, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one is, um, I, ironically, by taking away boring, repetitive, algorithmic tasks out of the care side of things. So for instance, it was interesting. I was in a, in a meeting and um, there were, it, it was a room full of doctors and I was up in, it was a panel discussion as myself and some consultant from some AI company. And, you know, the consultant was obviously much better at reading the room than I was. And uh, the moderator asked a very simple and, and really pointed question said, do you believe that the, that AI will replace some of what physicians do in the future. And so the gentleman who was from the AI company said, no, 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 it's going to enhance what they do. It's going to assist. It's going to complement. You know, he used all these words, right? And my response was, God, I hope so. Because a lot of the work that, you know, physicians have to do is effectively just they're running algorithms, right? They're not relying on human judgment compassion and empathy. They're relying on, you know, I know these are the different kind of, you know, the the different routes that I need to get to from kind of this complaint, asking these diagnostic questions to this kind of diagnosis and this this kind of treatment, right? For very, very simple things. And I, if you do the math in healthcare, the number of people that need to be served and the number of clinicians we're going to have to serve them, I'm talking nurses and physicians, it doesn't pencil out. And even if it did, we'd go bankrupt because our current, you know, the way that we deliver care today is so inefficient, we can't scale it, right? So there's got to be some elements of, you know, the boring repetitive tasks, 
They're algorithmically based so that we can leverage humans to what they're good at, which is, you know, being empathetic, being, you know, counselors, using good judgment and helping patients through emotional experiences, et cetera, et cetera, that machine will never be able to do, right? So it's getting rid of the friction on both sides. And it's also, even in the care experience, you know, being able to, um, you know, assist or even replace certain functions that the clinician used to do um, so that we can, you know, leverage, you know, these very, very valuable clinicians to their highest and best use. What they went to medical school for. They didn't go to medical school to, or nursing school to, you know, um, you know, run, run through a series of options that a computer could do for them, right? That's not what, that's not the art of it. So let, let them be participants in that sacred encounter. Yeah. And you, you see this work from time to time in healthcare. I mean, you know, uh, the example that, uh, Rod Hockman, our CEO, always brings up is, you know, used to be when he was training uh, EKGs, you would manually read an EKG and there was no machine reading it for you. And um, and you had to go through this painstaking process for every EKG to kind of read, you know, what does it mean? What does it signify, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a lot of that is done through AI um, and uh, and and it it reports an outcome, and if the outcome doesn't make sense to the physician, they'll dig deeper. But like the the machine's ability to accurately read these EKGs is very very high. Pretty remarkable, yeah. So 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 why you know so you you know they're trained to do it, but they don't they don't need to right. So they're there taking care of the patient. Aaron, have we gotten to the point where? Digital connectedness is a determinant of health. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a big issue for kind of our vulnerable populations. Um, you, you saw it a lot in COVID, uh, where and, and you you saw it not just in healthcare, but like education. Uh, you know, there's a, a heartbreaking uh, video that I saw of um, you know these two these two kids trying to attend school. And they were kind of sitting outside of, a, I don't know, trying to kind of link into McDo- a... Uh, like a McDonald's, I think. The McDonald's, yeah, to, to get kind of access to the Wi-Fi, for instance, right? So, you know, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a big deal. Um, and so one of the things that we're looking at is we're working with, uh, with our population health team to identify vulnerable populations who are most susceptible to uh, COVID. And we want to make sure that they, you know, they're, they tend to be, you know, ESL, so English is a second language, um, older, um, kind of in, you know, more vulnerable populations. And um, they've got, you know, bigger issue with um, access to information and those types of things. So what we've done is we've experimented with sending them out kind of SMS and texts and so what we've seen is, is you would think kind of, you know, an older population would possibly engage less with kind of, you know, texting and those types of things. And what this texting does is it, it, it asks some questions about like, do they need support? Do they need, uh, you know, uh, help identifying where to get tested for COVID? They need information around vaccines, et cetera. And it worked pretty well. 
You know, like the patients were, uh, especially the older populations, actually engaged at a higher level through these small tests, through um, through through these these SMS protocols. You know, so through texting, and so we're going to start using. And and the reason why that's so helpful is, you don't know if the patient's got access to the internet. You don't know if the patient's got access to, um, you know, smartphone. But at the very basic level, maybe they've got access to texting, right? And so maybe they can kind of, you know, uh, engage with you in that way. And um, we've also been been working with kind of, you know, AI-driven IVR uh, technology that's that's voice-based. And so that's where you can actually make outbound calls. And uh, if you've ever seen this, it's pretty fascinating. There's um, a, great, uh, a great video that Google did that's... Uh, pretty spooky actually and a little bit creepy but they did this um they did this uh this demonstration and you can find it on youtube where they had their uh ai technology uh you know kind of you know bot assistant um do an outbound call to schedule a hair appointment <laughs> you know with a hairdresser and look this up on youtube or wherever it's unbelievably startlingly good so let's go back to this example let's say you want to ask google to make you a haircut appointment on tuesday between 10 and noon what happens is the google assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you so what you're going to hear is the google assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you let's listen Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. Obviously, the person that, you know, the bot was scheduling with had no idea it was not a human that they were talking to, right? And Google had enhanced the AI so that it was making, you know, various different uh, pauses and ums and ahs while it was, you know, scheduling the, you know, the, the hair appointment. And so it was very kind of natural in its, in its inflection and the way it was speaking to the person. And, uh, got the hair appointment scheduled just perfectly, right? So you can imagine, you know, using that level of technology for outbound calling, it raises other issues about, you know, do you need to kind of notify somebody they're talking to uh, a robot, right? Right? Is that going to creep them out, right? you know, if you do? Well, the next thing they'll be doing is hosting a podcast. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Aaron, I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to, to talk with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I hope you'll come back sometime and we can continue the conversation. Uh, absolutely, I would. Aaron Martin is the Executive Vice President 
and Chief Digital and Innovation Officer for Providence. Aaron's also the Managing General Partner for Providence Ventures, where he's responsible for early stage venture technology and device investments for the $300 million Providence Venture Fund. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Connect with us on Twitter, where we're human underscore caring. The podcast is produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett, with research help from Seema Bakta, Sarah Viscuso, Amanda Schwartz, Catherine Gibbs, and Heather Martin. Our archives online at hearmenowpodcast.org. The Hear Me Now Oral History Project stories are edited by Mike Addis and Allison Jakes. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. The executive producer is Mike Drummond. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for listening. Be well.